My name is, uh, my name is Toby Ford Weston. So good to see you. Uh, we're continuing on in our Paradox uh, preaching series, continuing on in the uh, Gospel according to Matthew. Uh, today we're going to be taking a look at an episode that Jesus has with his mother and brothers, an episode that for the average person would have caused a great deal of embarrassment. Uh, so I just wanted to start off by saying this. Uh, what was the most embarrassing moment that you have experienced at the hand of your mother and brothers? <laughs> I want you to think back to when you were a child, perhaps. You know that moment where you just think, goodness, I just wish the ground could open up and swallow me whole. I don't know if you've ever had moments like that. What's interesting is um, a number of you in the room have uh, become the embarrassing mothers. <laughs> and, you take, and you take great joy in occasionally embarrassing your children. I just want to say, I'm praying for your kids. But what was that moment for you? What was the most embarrassing moment? Now, I'm sure that your moment was embarrassing. But may I humbly submit to you, I can beat it. The year was 2003, and a fresh-faced young Toby Ford Weston was preparing himself for prom. Now, for those of you that don't know what a prom is, a prom is kind of a dance that happens at the end of uh, year 11 when you're 16 years old at the end of your GCSEs. And everybody gets really excited about prom. Everybody gets really dressed up. Happens in schools up and down the country. Now, I was no different. Um, but where I was different is that I grew up in a place called Cambly in Leafy, Surrey. And when I was younger, we were the only African family in the area. Uh, so I was very conscious of looking very different uh, from everybody else. Uh, when the prom uh, started, was coming up, it was a couple of months away, my, uh, God bless her, my mum wanted to impose her will on me. <laughs> and she said, Toby, I would love to buy your prom suit. And I resisted, but she persisted. Ultimately, I gave in. I said, okay, mum, look, you can buy it. But I have one request. That request is this. Mum, I don't want to stand out. Okay, I, I already look different from everyone else. I've got a bit of a complex about it. She said, absolutely, my son. <laughs> Do you want to see what my mum bought for me to wear to prom? Are you sure? This is my mum trying to make me not stand out. I told you I could beat you. <laughs> what I find interesting about this picture is I'm literally wearing the opposite to everyone else. So, they wore black shoes, I wore white. They wore black suits, I wore white. They wore black ties, I wore white. They wore white shirts, I wore a black shirt. They wore no hat, I wore a hat. They bought corsages. I bought a cane. <laughs> and yes, that is a cane. Essentially, my mum made me look like Snoop Dogg going to prom. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I can only assume that my mum thought everyone else was going to dress in white suits uh, because I asked her to make me blend in. So she must have thought everyone's going to be dressed like Snoop Dogg. I know I'll do the same for my son. <laughs> I guess that's what must have happened. But it's, it's funny for me because I um, became a father just recently. My son Zachary is two months old in two days' time. And I can't wait till he's 16 where me and him... <laughs> We take a father-son trip to the little cane shop. <laughs> and I buy him a white hat, white shoes, and the most expensive white suit money can buy. <laughs> or you think I'm kidding. <laughs> but of course, I'm joking, right? The, the, the reality is this was a little bit embarrassing in the beginning. Um, but I, I quite liked it, actually. Um, uh, I was quite happy my mum did it. Um, but the reason I lift that up as something that is embarrassing is because we can all, to varying degrees, um, with family members, um, uh, have them kind of occasionally at least impose their wills on us. And for the most part, this is, this is fine. It comes from a, a place, a good place. But what happens if uh, their help starts to become something of a hindrance? What happens if uh, instruction starts to become obstruction? What happens if the wisdom from the people you like, love, and look up to doesn't match the lines of this book? Well, Jesus finds himself in kind of a similar situation, and that's our text for today. It's from Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50, and it'll come up on the screens, then we'll get to work. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Father God, Father God, I just ask, would you come in your power? We ask, Lord Jesus, would you be with us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would we know what it is to be in your heavenly family through faith this morning and all the warmth that that conveys from your heart. Be with us mightily in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me set the scene for you. Uh, at this point in the story, it would have been uh, a great joy uh, being Jesus' mother or brothers. Uh, the reason I say that is because up until this point, uh, Jesus has been doing some marvelous things. He has been healing the sick. He has been casting out demons. He has been cleansing lepers. He has been defending widows and orphans, defending women in the culture that didn't really regard women. He has been preaching some amazing sermons. And no doubt, some of the favor that Jesus had amongst the people uh, would have trickled down to his mother and brothers in, in many ways. Uh, they would have basked in his kind of reflected glory just by virtue of them being his mother and brothers. And we kind of see that there was a lot of favor towards uh, his family, his earthly family, Mary in particular. 
there's one passage in the Bible um, that uh, makes it plain. In Luke chapter 17, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 27, it says this. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Now, if Mary was anything like me, I'd be thinking, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I think I would retire. I tell you, if someone, when my, my son is 30 years old, says, blessed is the father that burps you, I think I would indeed retire. And this is the reality, that it would have been great, a great joy being Jesus' mother and brothers. He had lots of favor. Incidentally, Jesus responds to that woman that calls out in relation to his mother. And he says something peculiar. He says this, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Which is very much along the same lines as the scripture we read. This is how Jesus thought about about this. But nevertheless, it would have been a great joy being a member of Jesus' earthly family. But the scene begins to change. It begins to change because Jesus starts making some statements that are increasingly controversial, increasingly dangerous. Uh, the, 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 the scene begins to get more hostile for Jesus, particularly from his religious opponents, the scribes and the Pharisees. And if the scene is more hostile for Jesus, it becomes more hostile potentially for his mother and his brothers. So much so that they want to kind of sh- shut down his teaching, kind of stop it because he's saying some controversial things. Case in point, the verses preceding the, the scripture we've just read, we kind of see what they were doing. We kind of see him in the middle of what, some of his more unusual teaching, some of his more controversial, antagonistic even preaching. And I'll read the few verses before the scripture he read, and you'll kind of get into the mind of Jesus' mother and brothers. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. This is Jesus speaking. It says this, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking, behold, his mother and brother stood out saying, can we speak to you? You kind of see what's going on there. Uh, You kind of imagine Jesus preaching in this room to his disciples and and his mother and brothers kind of ear to the door thinking, what what did he just say about demons? Seven seven more wicked demons in itself? Did he just call the generation, did he just call everybody evil? including the scribes and the Pharisees, including us. This is dangerous. What? Right, this is OTT. He, this doing the will of the Father thing is going too far. It started off all right, you know, healing a few people. That was cool. But now this is getting a bit dangerous for us. We don't know the motives of their hearts. We don't know if it was dangerous for them and that's why they wanted to interrupt or we don't know if they were just genuinely concerned for him and his danger. That's why they wanted to interrupt. But what we do know is they did hold something of an intervention. They gathered together and wanted to speak to Jesus. And, and the reason they did, and it's important for us to know that at this point in the this, in this story, Jesus' brothers, uh, they don't believe in him. They don't believe he's who he said he was. 
We see that in John chapter 7, verse 5, where it's clear, it says, for not even his brothers believed in him. And we need to understand the setting that this story is placed in. Uh, The cultural setting is a traditional Eastern culture where family is prized extremely highly, like really, really important. Uh, Values such as uh, authority, tradition, loyalty, shame and honor. Uh, These were high, high values in the culture and the society. How much more for the firstborn son as Jesus was, with all of the obligations that that carried with it. It would have been one of the worst things you could do to bring shame upon your family, to have your family be disappointed with you. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning, embarrassment. This, this, what they're doing here, publicly, in front of his disciples, interrupting him mid-preach, that would have at least been really embarrassing for the average person. More likely, it would have been shaming. Your family are outside. Oh, they want to speak to you. And we see them kind of flex their family muscle here because, they, because we see the way they call them. They don't go into him and say, Jesus, can we have a word with you? You're saying some pretty controversial things. Can we just, just after the preach... No, no, they do it very differently. They, they do it like this. They say, while he was still speaking to the people, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Stood outside, right, come and get him. Right, he's, come stand here. We need to have a word with you. you. You're there with your disciples, and that's good, and that's all right, but really, you leave them, they're secondary. We're primary. We are your family. Come now and speak to us. We want to have a word. And so this is kind of the, the cultural background. that They're, they're flexing uh, their muscles. And, and perhaps you can relate. Perhaps you're in a situation or have been in a situation whereby, quite frankly, your family are, are baffled by you. Baffled by your commitment to Jesus. Baffled by the fact that you want to be a Christian and follow him. Uh, maybe you're in a situation where you, you feel increasingly out of step with your family and it's causing you you love them and you're you're conflicted maybe you're in a situation whereby you're hearing these sorts of questions asked of you by friends or family members questions like I hope you're not going to give into a gift day I hope you're not going to give to the church why, why are you saving yourself for marriage how on earth will you know whether you're compatible or not? You want to get baptized in water? What on earth would you want to do that for? That's a bit extreme. That's a bit OTT. Come on. I mean, it was all right you going to church a little, but now you want to get baptized? You were, you were baptized as a child. You were christened even, confirmed. Or maybe you're here and, it's, and you've been considering becoming a Christian for a while. Or maybe you're a Christian and you're in a situation with family or at work whereby they don't know, you haven't sort of come out, if you like, and told them. And this, this very issue is the very issue that you grapple with. What will my friends say? What will my family think? What will they do? Maybe you're struggling 
uh, with the fact that you might look, well, you might look weird. They might think you're a fool if you become a Christian. Well, let me say this. If, if that's where you're at, you'd be in good company. Uh, because if you're here and you're a Christian and you, you want to do what Jesus did here, says, want to do the will of the Father, uh, you will at least occasionally look weird. <laughs> you will at least occasionally look like a fool. Spoiler alert. But you're in good company uh, because Noah looked like a fool building an ark. Moses looked like a fool, despising the riches of Egypt to associate himself with the slaves of Israel. Joshua looked like a fool, walking around Jericho, screaming, shouting, playing the cymbals. David looked like a fool, going to a brook, picking up five smooth stones to fight the might of the champion Goliath of Gath. Jesus looked like a fool, the Lord himself, about to be told off by his mother and little brothers. I tell you, if, if the wisdom, if the wisdom from this book occasionally makes you look like a fool, you're probably doing it right. Take heart. But how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds in a way that only Jesus could. He says this, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What's going on here? What's going on here? Well, Jesus hasn't got some strange case of amnesia where he's like, who, who are my mother and brothers? I forgot. That, that's not what's going on here. Uh, nor is Jesus disowning his family. Uh, nor is Jesus even being rude to his family. He's not being rude. But he is being firm. And occasions like this, situations like this, they do require firmness. They just, they just do. A gracious firmness, to be sure, but a firmness no less. But hang on a sec, but firmness. I, I thought the Bible said, honor your father and mother. Yeah, yeah, I think I read that one time. Honor your father and mother. And Jesus doesn't look like he's particularly honoring his father and mother. Surely if he was honoring his father and mother, he would have gone outside and, and taken the telling off, right? Because if the Bible says honor your father and mother, then surely it makes God happy to honor your father. What's going on here? Well, that's a good question. The Bible does say, honor your father and mother. And I became a father two months ago. And since then, move over Psalm 23. We have a new favorite Bible verse. <laughs> it, is, it is every parent's favorite Bible verse, particularly if you are Nigerian in here. Uh, you would have heard this Bible verse over and over again. Um, I digress. But the Bible does say that. The Bible does say that. Honor your father and mother. Uh, therefore, Jesus... He, he takes very seriously the relationship you have with your parents. God is a father after all. Christ is a son. It's who they are. And therefore, if you were to do so, it would delight them greatly in faith. And if there's any doubt about how Jesus felt about his mother from this text, this scripture, 
simply take a look at some of the last words Jesus says. As he's on the cross in excruciating pain, he cares not about his pain, but more about the pain of his mother who is at the foot of the cross with his best friend. Saying to her in some of his last words, Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. As she watches her firstborn son snatched away from her. Therefore, if anyone is to use these scriptures to justify an ungodly relationship with their family, a dismissive relationship with parents, a hostile relationship with parents, no, no, that's not what this scripture is for. It does greatly please God for you to honor your mother and father. But again, what, what we need to understand is this scripture is in the middle of a setting that is a, a, a culture that family is kind of overemphasized. The role of family is. In our Western culture, more individualistic culture, family is perhaps more underemphasized than it should be which means in one culture it's unimportant, but in another culture it's omnipotent. And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's saying, no, that's, not, that's not quite right, that's not quite right, and he really proposes a third way. And that third way is this, a way that truly does honor father and mother, but doesn't exalt father and mother. A way that takes into consideration, takes seriously commandment number five of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, the first commandment with a promise, but understands commandment number five in view of commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. This is how the Bible in one breath can say, honor your father and mother, and in the next breath say, in Matthew chapter 10 verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Uh, Jesus proposing, proposes this way, the Christian way, of ultimately uh, pursuing family, but prioritizing father. And it's as Jesus continues to pursue family and prioritize father <laughs> that his brothers, they're changed. I mean, they're not painted in a particularly good light in this in this story, but you might ask the question, what became of Jesus' brothers? What ever happened to them? Uh, well, the Bible makes clear that Jesus had uh, uh, four brothers, at least. Their names in Mark chapter 6, verse 3 are James, Jodas, excuse me, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And we know that as they would have watched Jesus, as they saw Jesus understand that the the best way ultimately to honor your father and mother is to pursue the heavenly father. Whether they sort of understand Christianity or not, that they saw Jesus' way and they were significantly impacted. And I find it fascinating because this very story, we can reasonably infer, had a dramatic impact on them. And the reason we can say that is because they wrote books of the Bible the book of James and the book of Jude. And when you see how they introduce themselves in their letters, it's fascinating because James introduces himself as uh, not James the brother of Christ, but James 
the servant of Christ. Jude introduces himself as not Jude, the brother of Jesus, in Jude chapter 1, verse 1. No, he introduces himself as Jude, the brother of James. <laughs> he learned. He understood. We cannot put any confidence in the flesh. They understood that though having pride in your family name is not necessarily a bad thing, but they want to be part of the greater family, the eternal family, the family of God, the church. They would come to know this as they watched their big brother pursue this way. And so they really made a choice. And it's a choice that each one of us will inevitably have to make at one point or another. And that is this. Who's, which will we prefer? Happy family or heavenly father? Which bloodline will take precedence? Inherited or imputed? Whose will will you pursue if there is conflict? The will of your earthly father or the will of your heavenly father? And that is the central point that Jesus is actually making in these scriptures. Uh, We see him say this in verse 50. For whoever does the will, the will of my father is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will. What's he saying here? Well, I'll tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that if you start to do the will of the father, then perhaps God will let you into his family and you can be his brother, mother, and sister. He is not saying that. He's actually saying the opposite. He's saying that if you know through faith in him that you have been accepted as a mother, brother, and sister, that you will begin to desire, to decide, to delight in doing the will of the Father. So a good question to ask at this point would be this. What is the will of the Father? What is God's will for my life? That's a question we should, we should all ask ourselves. An important one. And, and the answer is actually right in the middle of the, the, the scripture we read. But it, it, you can miss it, but we'll walk through it. The reality is this. Jesus, he is really comparing his earthly family uh, with his heavenly family. So he mildly rebukes his earthly family and commends his heavenly family. And not only does he commend them, he he points them out. He says, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and brother. So there must have been something that his eternal family were doing in that very moment that was the will of God the father because he points them out in that moment saying, here they are. This is my mother and brother. Whoever does the will of my father, which means they're doing the will of my father because I'm calling them out as my mother and brother. So what were they doing? What were they doing in that moment that was the will of the Father? Well, when we look at it, we see Jesus' earthly family were outside, whereas his eternal family were inside in close relationship with Jesus. We see that his earthly family were stood on their two feet, whereas his eternal family were sat at his feet. And this is the will of God for your life to sit at the feet of Jesus. And you might say, well, okay, okay, but Toby, you're being a bit cryptic. 
What does it actually mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? Well, if you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, first and foremost, you're coming to him in faith. You believe he's who he said he was, right? You believe that. And then you also believe that every single word that he says to you is more precious than gold, even much fine gold. It's a position of submission. It's a position of reverence. It's a position of of humility, a position of learning. Uh, Sitting at the feet of Jesus would look like well, this, coming to church, submitting oneself under the teaching of the Bible. It means being part of a small group. It means opening up your life. It means being accountable. It means prioritizing the reading of this book and, and praying it over, saying, God, help me to help put this into me. I want, I want to do this stuff. And, and for avoidance of doubt, the will of the Father is bellowed out audibly on the Mount of Transfiguration, a few chapters later, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. And this is what it says. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and the voice of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This means that to become a brother mother, sister of Jesus is not about obeying rules it's about enjoying relationship it's not about standing on your own two feet, it's about sitting at his feet it's not about trying harder it's actually about sitting harder but he said blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. But why, why, why should I sit at the feet of Jesus for the rest of my life? Why, why should I surrender the leadership of my life, renounce it, give it to him, for him to lead me? Why, why on earth would I do that? Because he stretches his hand out to you. I love this so much. Jesus actually made this motion. It says this, stretching out his hand towards his disciples. Stretching out his hand towards his disciples. He said, here are my mother and brothers. Jesus actually made this motion. He actually did this. Here, here are my mother and brothers. Stretching out his hands. Imagine being in that room in that moment. Imagine. Jesus is teaching your sat at his feet, listening eagerly every word that's coming from his mouth. His mother and brothers are making a scene outside wanting to speak to him. He's shutting them down, saying, no, no, no. Here are my mother and brothers. Imagine for a moment you were in that room and his hand landed on you, pointing at you. Here are my mother and brothers. The, the, God himself commending you. What a special moment that might have been. Well, I tell you this. If you're a Christian here, you do not have to imagine That is your reality. That is what he says to you. Here are my mother and brothers. And maybe maybe you're here and you're struggling with sin. And maybe there's things that you've done this week, this month, just the last number of months that you think, goodness gracious, I know I have not been doing the will of the Father. I know that that is not how I would describe my life. I know it. And maybe you're struggling with guilt Maybe you're struggling with shame as well. 
and maybe you're just feeling far from God. Perhaps the last thing you would think is Jesus is stretching his hand out to you. Perhaps you feel actually more Jesus is folding his arms to you. What have you done again? How many times have you done that? You think I'm going to forgive you again? You haven't been to church and now you decide to rock up to church? We think that he's folding his arms to us. But if that's you, listen to me. Where in this book does it say Jesus folds his arms to you? No. It is written. And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. This means he knew you would lie. He knew you would cheat. He knew you would steal. He knew you would swear. He knew you would be proud. He knew you would doubt him. He knew you would gossip. He knew you would struggle with how you look. He knew you would lust. He knew you would be fearful. He knew you would dishonor him. He knew you would disobey him. He knew you would have anxiety. He knew you'd have mental health issues. He knew you'd watch porn. But do you know what he says to you today if you believe? Here are my mother and my brothers. Here are my mother and brothers. There's an old saying. There's an old saying that goes, you can choose your, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Well, that's not true. At least not in God's case. Because God has already chosen his family. Ephesians 1.4 He chose us. He chose us. He chose us in him. That's Jesus. Before the foundation of the world. But how? How, how could Jesus stretch out his hand to me? A wretch like me with all of my weaknesses, all of my hang-ups, all of my failings, all of my sins, all of the, the mess I've got myself into. Why on earth would he stretch his hand out to me? Maybe other people, but me? The reason Jesus can stretch his hand out to you is because he stretched out his hands on the cross. And there Jesus took the punishment, took the penalty that you and I deserve for the times that we have not done the will of the Father. Treated as one who never did the will of the Father so that we might be treated by the Father as ones who only did the will of the Father. He did it so that we might be forgiven. That if we come to him in repentance and say, Lord, I have sinned. I have. I haven't done your will. No, I haven't. He might forgive us of everything. And give us his perfection and his record. This means the hands that are stretched out to you, the hands that are stretched out to you to, to beckon you in, can only be stretched out to you because those same hands had nails driven through them. And if Jesus stretches out his hand to you, you must, you must stretch out your hand back to him. You must take his hand. What does that look like? It means faith 
It means trusting him. It means giving your life to him for the first time. It means for the 10,000th time coming back to him and saying, look, Lord, I need you. I want you. I want to sit at your feet once more. That's what it means. And, and if Jesus has stretched out his hand to you, you too also have the privilege of stretching out your hands to others. You get the privilege of being like him. You get the privilege of being a brother, a sister, a mother, a father to those who need a brother, a sister, a mother, a father. The family of God. You are mine, I am yours. We look out for each other. We care for each other. We're generous to one another. We have each other's backs. That's who we are, the brothers of Christ and sisters of Christ. And lastly, Jesus will, will stretch his hand out once more. If you have trusted in Jesus, <laughs> on the last day, on the last day, he, he will say to you who have believed in Jesus and believed in him, enter into the kingdom, into the joy of your master. And he will stretch out his hands as you finally, finally meet face to face. He will stretch out his hands as you enter in and he will embrace you. If the band can join me, and I'll pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are this sort of God. <laughs> I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the sort of God that stretches your hand out to us in grace and care, compassion. I thank you, Lord, that you love us. I thank you, Lord, that you don't fold your arms to us. No matter what we've done, it doesn't matter how bad it was or how bad it is, you come to us with your hands outstretched. Lord, help us this morning to come back to you and take your hand in faith. Thank you, Lord, that we will see you face to face one day. And this reality will be, <laughs> will be experience, it will be experiential, flesh to flesh. Lord Holy Spirit, would you just come upon us with the spirit of adoption come to us right now. I ask this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.